0: Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation.
1: This morning we've been excited. We always love it. Uh, Brother Dave is a friend of CT Church and uh, so He's here to minister to us this morning, Brother Dave. Come, Reverend Dave, and soldier and commander in the Lord's army, Dave Reaver. Let's welcome him this morning. I love you, Pastor. God bless you. Thank you, sir. Well, good morning. Well, I tell you what, you just feel the excitement in the air, don't you? This is a this church is alive. You know, the Bible says he's coming for the dead in Christ. I know a few churches that will be evacuated that day. <laughs> it's the wrong dead in Christ, I guess so, but it's nice to be in a church that's alive in Christ. I just, I'm thrilled to be here. Pastor, thanks for the chance you and Janet last night treated us to Mexican food. I'm going to tell you what, Bubba. The marriage supper of the Lamb will be tacos and tortillas. ha <laughs> <and I, I>, ha. <laughs> And when we get to, get to heaven, we all speak Spanish together the way it ought to be. <clears throat> Some of you might know that I, uh, I spoke Spanish before I did English. I was uh, six years old when I learned English. My, when I was born, my mom uh, almost died and, was re- and remained invalid the rest of her life. But she couldn't take care of me, so we had a Mexican nanny named Maria Rubio. I learned how to roll my R's. And at six years old, they told me I had to learn English, go to school. And then they told me I was not a Mexican. (laughs) I could not get my Hispanic mind around that. It blew what was left of my mind because I'm telling you, it was a huge change emotionally as well. So uh, I've always had my heritage in Mexico. I felt like I'm uh, Mexican-American and I love it just fine. Uh, I grew up down in Brownsville, Texas. That's a little ways from here, but not that far. And I was born in McAllen. Don't know why I'm telling you all this, except to tell you that I have been raised a Texan all my life. I'm a Texican, and I was in Central America. And I'm going to take a minute to tell this story. I'm going to. Kathy's going to come in just a minute, but I'm going to. I'm going to sit down in a second and do this. I want to open by telling me, tell, ooh, that thing's heavy. I think I'll let you pick that up. <laughs> you got to be a man to move that thing. <laughs> Woo, thank you, sir. Uh, I, I've had a, a heart to share this on several occasions, but I was down in uh, Central America. I was actually in El Salvador, and President Christiani had asked me, literally the president of that country, wrote me a letter, Had <laughs> you ever get a, letter from the president of another country. It's really interesting. And he asked me if I would come to El Salvador and speak in all the schools of the, of the country that were under the control of the government, not the rebels. The rebels had the highlands, but very few people. And most of the people were in the, in the communities that were under control of the government. And I said yes. So he promised me he would give me every student possible that... Uh, were under control of the government, and he kept his word. Tens times tens of thousands of students were marched from their schools to the soccer stadiums, to the uh, boxing arenas in the smaller communities, wherever they could have mass gatherings. And they would march those schools with marching bands and all. It would be a five-parade uh, group coming to the central meeting place, whatever it would be. And... I went to one little town that did not have a soccer stadium. It didn't have a, it was, it was right on the edge of almost no man's land with the rebels during that civil war. And my life would be changed that day. I had no idea what was coming. Uh, it was a school of about 1,200 kids and it was the only school in town so I just went to the school. And they had a large enough plaza that they could get all the kids there in it where they, could, they normally had recess or whatever they call it. And they gave me a platform that was probably half the size of just this little square up here, just enough room for two people, myself and the translator, uh, to stand. And I got up there and I could just feel every word being absorbed by the audience. I, I don't know how many of you have ever done public speaking but you can tell when you're connecting or not. You can tell. And I was connecting with that group of kids. And at the back of that crowd, my brother was standing, who is very fluent in Spanish, and uh, actually speaks five languages. (laughs) Astrophysics, calculus major. I got the looks. And uh, there was a little girl, 15 years old, standing next to him, just crying her eyes out. And she turned to him, and she said, I've got to tell that man something. And, of course, speaking Spanish, she understood her very fluently. And he explained to her that there's too many people. You can't get up there. And when I finished speaking, they they all rushed that little tiny platform, and they were right up against it. And it was about this height, maybe a little bit less high, but... They were all reaching up, trying to just trying to touch me. It was really a remarkable, it was a romance with that audience of children. It was a romance. It was love at first sight. And that little girl kept insisting to my brother, I have to tell him something. She was so adamant that he complied, and he worked his way through that crowd, pulling that little girl behind him, and got her, got her right up to the edge. And I reached out to, to, to touch her hand. And when I did, I had to bend over. Well, I shouldn't have been over. She jumped up and grabbed me around the neck. It almost pulled me into that crowd. And I was able to stay on the platform and break free. And she opened her mouth to say whatever was so important. And she forgot everything she wanted to say. Her mind went totally like she couldn't remember a word, and I thought maybe she had said something and I missed it, so I leaned forward to try to. N- nothing, and she reached up, and I didn't wear glasses at that time, and with her hand, she wiped all. The- it was real hot that day. She wiped the sweat off my face, and she turned around, and she raised her hand toward all the students. And she said in perfect Spanish, of course, I touched his face, and his love went into my heart. That's why they call Spanish the romance language. I was reading in Psalms the other day, and I kept looking for it a while ago, and I, I read the first 50 chapters of Psalms, and I, was, I, I can't remember which one it was, and this came to me before I had time to prepare The scripture for this thought but it talks about the presence of God that the presence of the king and in his chambers that there's the fragrance of these various spices and uh, colognes we'll call it and having exited that presence that that fragrance remained on the people Have you been in the presence of God? So powerful that there was a fragrance that your spiritual sense of smell could detect. And exiting that place, people knew where you were because that fragrance followed you that presence where you touched his face and his love went into your heart. I was on Good Morning America several years ago and they had this very beautiful hostess and handsome host. You know, they're always, and then they add makeup to make them more beautiful, including the women. (laughs) And they, they explained to me, which I already knew, that because I've done so much television over the years they say when you hear the music wind up what you're saying quickly because we have to go to a hard break it's a computer break and it's not something we can extend and if you're in the middle of a sentence it'll just cut you off and so during our conversation I heard the music and I was speaking at that time in response to a question and I wound it up quickly and went to a hard break but she she preceded the heartbreak thinking that it had already taken place. Off camera, she thought, but it was on the air. She looked at me and she said, God, you smell good. I don't use the name God like that. I, I, I don't even use it. I, I don't feel comfortable doing that. And even saying that, I, I feel a little conviction. But I wanted to quote her because I'm going to use that. God, you smell good. And I thought, at that time I was wearing English leather. I thought maybe it had translated and been transformed to Jewish leather. Maybe I smell like Jesus. Do you smell like Jesus? Do you? Do you? What do you smell like to the world about you? Do you? It's a good question. It's a good question. You smell like where you've been. You ever eat at Waffle House? Remember back when they didn't have the smoking ban indoors? You go to Waffle House. They make the best waffle in the world, but boy, back then, you had to, they smoked you along with the sausage. Man, if you didn't have cancer when you went in, you had it when you came out. Whoa, it was bad. You pick up the fragrance of where you've been. I want to go through a world when they smell the presence of God in my life. That's what I want. I'm going to ask Kathy to come. She's going to share a song with you that I've asked for her to to sing this morning about being in his presence. Because when you're there and you leave, people know where you've been. Come on up here Kathy. You know Kathy, give her a big welcome.
2: What's you. You up? We, need, you need we some can help. do that together. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Good, morning. good morning. It is so good to be here. I every time I come here there's a little bit of a family reunion because all of the there's so many that have been to abide here and uh, there and I get to kind of get reunited with them for a day. So it's just fun to see faces that you know and love and people that you spent time with. So all of you Abide Retreat ladies, I love you and it's good to see you today. I, You know, one of the things that we talk about at Abide Retreats, which are the retreats that we do for the military and first responder wives, is all centered around the very name Abide Retreats. We talk about learning to abide in Christ and learning to abide in His Word. Because when we learn to abide with Him, anything that tries to stand up against that and speak wrong in our ears, we line it up with the word and we throw it out because it doesn't line up with God's word. Amen? That's the value of abiding. Uh, recently, we were riding our motorcycles through an area and passed a sign on the road that said, prison area, do not pick up hitchhikers. You ever seen those signs before? You pass through those, those areas, right? So we passed through that area, and as we passed by, of course, my first thought was, you know, I don't need a sign for that. Right here's your sign. I don't need a sign for that, because I don't typically pick up hitchhikers. Uh, you know, they might hurt me. I know there's times God tells you to pick up hitchhiker. That's a different thing. But I don't just go around picking up hitchhikers. They might harm me. They might hurt me. They may never leave me. They may want to move in with me. They want to make you know just all kinds of things could happen with that scenario. But as I passed the sign and got beyond it and got to thinking as I was riding down the road, I began to think about those hitchhikers and I thought, how many times in my spiritual life have I allowed myself to pick up spiritual hitchhikers? How many times have I gone through a situation in my life and I had warning signs that said prison area and I stopped and picked up those hitchhikers? Maybe they sound like doubt, fear, depression, loss of joy, the list goes on and on and on of the areas in our life spiritually that we can pick up hitchhikers. And what happens when we pick them up? They kind of begin to, we get familiar with them. We, then we get comfortable. We make conversation with them. We do things that feed those little thoughts in our mind because we watch the news and we talk to people that feed that. And us. And next thing you know, we're really comfortable with that hitchhiker. But I got to tell you, church, today we need to go back to the prison where they belong and drop them off. Because the Bible tells us to take our thoughts captive, bring our minds into the obedience of Christ, and when we do, we can leave those hitchhikers where they started and have no part with them today. Amen? Amen. Amen. And we can do that when we spend time with him and line up our thoughts with his thoughts in his calm, sweet presence. We get to know him, and we get to know what he says to us so we can live and walk in that. Amen? Amen.
0: In the calm of your presence, I am listening.
1: Absolutely beautiful. I've had 60 operations in, since I was injured in Vietnam, 6 0. The last 10, starting with number 50, have been the most appreciated, the most ROI return on investment I've ever had. And sitting in this room right now is one of my favorite friends in the whole wide wicked world. I was. Uh, Operation number 50, these take place at Brook Army Medical Center, by the way, right here in San Antonio. And I was over at BAMC, and my wife and I were in this little confined room with a medic who was taking all my vitals for Operation number 50 pre-op. And I noticed he stopped. I looked over, and he's standing at attention. There was only three of us in the room. Why is he standing? at? Well, there was four of us in the room now. And one of them had stars on his shoulder. Uh, he was a general, and I looked and I saw this hand land on my shoulder. Hey, Davy, and I thought, Well, now who's going to call me Davy if he's not my friend? Uh, I, he, I don't know who's calling me Davy. I look, it was a general. Well, I, I tried to get up because it's my normal stance to stand in the presence of generals, but I couldn't get up. And he kind of held me there, and he, I said, Who are you? And he said, Well, I'm. Uh, Jeff Johnson I said well sir I'm happy to meet you and he said 30 years ago you came to our school and you spoke and transformed my life because I wanted to be a military man like you so I went out and joined the ROTC and he said today I am a general in this hospital I said what do you do he said I'm commanding general of Brook Army Medical Center I really want to get up and say sir I said, well, I'm, he said, for 30 years, you have mentored my life every day. I am not exaggerating what he said because he's sitting in this room right now. Would you welcome General Jeff Johnson, just retired, U.S. Army, Brooke Army Medical Center commanding general. Would you welcome, stand up, General. You are my doc, you're my friend. <laughs> Love you, sir. And I'll tell you, the best surgeries of my life have been the last ten. Some of you have seen my development and growth. I came here when I just had gotten my nose. I, I had this little piece over here, but I didn't have anything over here. So I, And it was all contracted, and I couldn't breathe through my nose. I couldn't breathe through my nose so long back, I don't remember when. But because I breathe through my mouth all the time, that's not healthy for your teeth or your heart, the way I've been told. So uh, Dr. Scott Bevins, who did the actual surgery under his command, under General Johnson's command, uh, Scott Bevins said, I can fix that nose. I said, you can't. He said, I'll make you one, I'll make you a nose. I said, well, make me one. They made me an ear. Plastic, so I thought maybe a plastic nose. My ear falls off. I don't know what happened. My nose fell off. My ear fell off in Jamaica when I was preaching. I stuck it back on. They thought it was a miracle, and they all got saved. (laughs) That's a true story. He said, no, I'll make the nose on top of your head. It's called rhinoplasty, and I'll build that nose up there. He said, it's very difficult for you to go through this. I said, if I get a nose out of the deal, I'm in. He said, You know, while I got you there, I'll just make you some eyelids. Because my eye didn't have eyelids. I couldn't shut my eye. It drive me insane. Had to tape it shut at night. It was just horrible. Did that for 48 years, something like that. And pain 24 7 in my eye. It was there all the time. It would wake me up at night, pain in my eye, because I couldn't close it. And he said, While I'm at it, I'll make you some lips, because they were blown off and drooled all the time. So while I'm at it, I'll fix it. I said, "Look, do you have a brain? You can transplant while you're at it. Let's just go for the whole man." So they put me under operation number fifty. I'm not going to show you the picture, but last night at dinner I showed Miss Janet the picture, and she's a tough girl. I'm going to tell you to look at that picture. It looks like the garbage truck dumped all of its garbage on me and then backed up over me to make sure it got me. It's the worst picture I've ever taken of my entire life. Except the picture taken right after I was injured. And I've only seen that picture one time and I don't have access to it. All through the following weeks of that surgery, little by little, it changed. And I showed her the sequence of pictures. And I sit here today with a nose, and I'm so proud of it. It's a boy. <laughs> I got something I can stick in your business now. I'm so proud to have a nose and so glad to have lips back and eyelids. I can actually close both eyes. What a miracle. But when I first saw my face, the picture that I showed them last night at dinner after we ate, when I saw my face, I looked at Scott Bevins, my precious Doc. I love that doctor, his wife and his two little girls, like they're my absolute own family. I love that guy. He's one of the best friends I've ever had. But I was so mad at him, and I could have shot Jeff Johnson, but I couldn't find him. I was mad at all the doctors at Brook Army Medical Center because I thought they ruined what I had left, and it was bad enough then before they operated I looked at Brent and I said, get me out of here. And the doctors, there were about nine of them standing at the foot of my bed when I came to. I'm laying there thinking, what's wrong? All these doctors are here. And they said, Dave, the surgery was great. It went wonderful. No complications. It was a great surgery. It lasted 12 hours. Nine do- or, uh, three doctors and their staff worked in, in, in symphony to get it all done. Said, it was great. So I'm learning to thinking I look good, and then I stood up and I saw myself in the mirror. I said, to Brent, I looked at my, my Dr. Bevins. I said, what medical school in the dark ages did you go to? I was so mad at him I could have pinched his head off. Wasn't the Jerry Springer show. And I looked at Brad and said, get me out of here. And they wouldn't let me go right then. They made me spend a few nights and Jeff Johnson's precious wife Paula came to my room, pulled up a chair and sat down beside me and she just comforted my, my broken spirit. She put value on what my life had meant to her husband. She put value on what my life meant to her I've got a scripture that just describes it perfectly. And if you have your iPhones, you can read with me. It comes from the book of Psalm 84. It's the fourth and fifth verse. And I'd like to read it for you. It's the fifth and sixth verse of chapter four, uh, chapter 84. Verse five and six, blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways or highways to heaven, the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain fills the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. What that says in our modern day English is easy to translate verse 5 into English, our typical English. Blessed is the man whose strength is in God. In his heart are the ways that lead to glory, to heaven. But listen at verse 6 with the translation of the word baka. Say baka. I used to think that's what people sprayed in their mouth after they smoke so they wouldn't stink, but that's called banaca. I just thought I'd throw that in there. You say, that's silly. You'll never forget what I'm about to say. You'll think of Banaka, you'll think of baka, and you'll remember passing through the valley of weeping, the valley of tears, the Valley of Sorrow. They dig a well, and the rain comes and fills up the well. Those that dig those wells go from one well to another, strength to strength, until one day in Zion, they stand before God. Wow. You see what General Johnson and his wife Paula Have meant to me is during a time of great pain and emotional difficulty, not knowing that I would return to the value that God gave me to start with, I couldn't see a way out. I was laying in that bed so distressed I thought it was the end of my career. Not that Dave has to have a career. It would It's more than a career, my friend. It's a calling. And it's more than a calling. It's a mission. It's more than a mission. I was sent by the Spirit of God to do the greatest thing on the face of the earth, to preach the gospel which pleases the Lord. There is no higher calling of all of mankind than to please God. And for thy pleasure, the Bible says, and for his pleasure they are and were created. There's nothing on this planet you can do more greater to God than to please him. But what do you do to please him is the second step. And to please the God, to please God is to do his will. What is his will? Well, you look first at what is not his will. It's not his will that any should perish, amen. But that all should come to repentance. So the will of God is to preach the gospel of repentance so that you might please the Lord and your purpose of existence. Am I making any sense yet? This is just simple basics of how do you know the will of God? How do you not know it? People come to me, I don't know. How do you know the will of God? Dave? I just wish God had tell me what he wants me to do. Do what? Just do the Jesus stuff. Feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit them in prison. Start there and everything else will work out for you. So don't tell me you can't find the will of God. I've told you how and now you're inexcusable. They that know to do right and don't do it are going to hell. Well, kind of like that the Bible said. (laughs) So passing through the valley of weeping, we are to be well diggers. Wait a minute, does that mean I'm supposed to be a preacher with a sheepskin on the wall that says credentialed, ordained? Uh, I have a doctorate degree in, in divinity. I have one myself. I was given a doctorate degree in divinity. I want to tell you something. It doesn't matter what hangs on your wall, it's what's in your heart. That's where it starts, right? It's what's in your heart. So, to be a well digger doesn't mean you necessarily dress the best. Or even smell the best. And we talked about smell (laughs) a little earlier. I I remember when we moved to the property we live on today in Fort Worth. I bought this property back when I'd just gotten out of the hospital. And I bought it little pieces at a time until I got all the property there. But I'll never forget when we rolled into that property. I mean, you had to work your way through a bunch of brush just to get on the property. And it was a mess. There was no electricity. There was no water. There was no sewer. It's out in the country. And so I cleared enough for us to get our little travel trailer out there my wife and I traveled in. I dug my own little septic system to get by. And we hauled our water in and ran a generator to get electricity until I got the power company out there. So I finally got electricity. And then I could dig a well. So I, I didn't know who to call. I looked in the phone book, came up under well-digging service, all red wells. So I dialed that number. And this is the way, literally, the conversation went. Let me put this phone down. It, I dialed and he answered on the other end. What? I said, excuse me, what? I said, I'm calling for Mr. Allred. Is this Mr. Allred? Yes, Well, do you dig wells? Yes. Could you dig me a well? Yes. Well, I need it out here on 10-mile bridge road. When? I said, now. Where? I said, somewhere on the property. Click. My wife looked at me and said, well, did you order a well? I said, I think so. I was honest to God. That was the conversation she said when is he coming I said I don't know today I don't know I said I'm just going to go up to the corner uh, up to the street and just sit there I didn't know if he's going to show up or not so I'm sitting there waiting and I waited and about four hours later I look up and here comes a truck with an old rusty a-frame on the back and had a pulley on it and a piece of cable and all kinds of pipes stacked up on that thing on the sides and across the top, long, looked like about 10-foot pieces, of sections of pipe. And he starts slowing down and slowing down, and pretty soon I'm waving, and he turned there, and he comes through this little makeshift over the ditch that I'd made and bounced on our property, and buckets fell off. And I thought, Jed Clampett's going to dig me a well here today. He pulled up. He didn't stop. He rolled to a stop. He didn't have brakes on that old 54 Ford truck. And the side red had now so dissipated over the years, you could barely, barely read, All Red, well-digging service. I said, you all, you Mr. All Red? Yes. I have not got but one word out of this guy at a time for the last conversation on the phone. And now he said, Where do you want me to dig the well? That was the longest sentence. I just shouted, hallelujah. He said, well, I said, you spoke a sentence. I said, I don't know where I want the well. Get that stick thing out you do. That's what I told him. He said, where are you going to build that? I said, another sentence. He said, where do you want the house built? I said, over here. He said, why don't we dig the well near the house so you don't have to lay a long pipe i said oh you're so smart he put that old truck with a call it a pto put the handle down that thing started spinning put a pipe on it started to, and he hit that old hard caliche dirt you know what i'm talking little puffs of white dust i said he'll never hit water on this property it's impossible he went down a stem or two and three and then four and yeah, well, he hit about 125 feet down. He hit water. Somehow he ended up getting a glass of water out of that pipe. It was so cool that when he handed it to me in that tin cup, the tin cup was sweating water on the outside dripping off with condensation. I took a sip of the sweetest water from the third level of the Trinity River I've ever tasted in my life. I looked at that guy in his dingy and dirty old overalls that smelled of the mud that he had dug up off of the last three wells before he ever got to me. He stunk. He was ugly. He drove a piece of junk for a truck. But when that man hit water, I looked at him and I said, Mr. Allred, might I inquire who is your tailor? You wear the nicest overalls I've ever seen. And I don't know that fragrance, but whatever it is, I'd like to buy some of that. You smell good, Mr. All Red. You see, the world, they don't care if you have a nose. They don't care if you're Mr. Beautiful. They don't care what threads you wear when you hand them a cold drink of water. In a hot, dry, thirsty land, you're the best-looking, best-smelling person in San Antonio, Texas. You see, people are looking for an answer. They are dry. They're thirsty. They're dying. They don't know whether to wear a mask or not to wear a mask. They don't know what social distancing is. I do. The devil tried to lie to me last week. I said, get behind me, devil, six feet. I'm here today to tell you, we are well diggers passing through a valley of weeping and sorrow and darkness. Do you have a shovel, my friend? Then don't leave home without it. Take it with you everywhere you go. Dig a well. You say, Dave, how do you dig a well in that dry, thirsty Let me tell you something. You may dig a well, you sweat more water than you'll ever drink out of that well. Doesn't matter. That well is an impression you leave behind when you're gone. And when the rain comes, it fills that impression. How do you think those huge, beautiful oasis in the middle of a desert start out? Somewhere the rains filled a pool. And in the days of David, they would pass through that valley of weeping, Baca. In case you didn't know it, that same valley to this day is a valley of weeping. It is the valley called Baka, B-A-K-K-A-H, where those hostages were found after 707-something days and, and these journalists and all had been held there in that Baka Valley, they call it. It goes all the way back in history to the valley of Hinnom where the children of Israel passed their babies through the fire. They took their finest baby and burned that baby to death to give a sacrifice to an evil god called Moloch. It's believed to be the same place Jesus referred to as the Valley of Hinnom, not of Gehenna, not Hinnom, but Gehenna. Gehenna. That same place where the lepers went when they had to cry unclean, unclean, And they put them all together in this horrible place so they could die. Let me tell you something, folks. I don't have to drag you through the Far East to get you to understand the Valley of Weeping. You step outside this building, put your mask on, and go into this world. We're in the Valley of Weeping. We're in the Valley of Sorrow. What hope does the world have if we fail in our mission that none should perish what hope do they have if we don't do our job and I'm going to tell you I got into that hospital with big dreams they were shattered when I looked in that mirror I looked at myself and they were saying it's a good surgery it all went well it was wonderful no complications you see the difference is I was looking at where I was they were looking where I was going to be, that's what makes a good doctor. That's what makes a good surgeon. They look at where we're going to be. They don't do what they do for the immediate return only. They do it for the long haul. You see, when I see myself in the mirror, even to this day, and I put all my spare parts on, I take on a world at minus zero. Zero. But at the end of the day, I'm plus 100%. Because during that day, I have to rebuild Dave every day from looking at what I am to realizing what God called me to be. Don't be what you call you to be. Be what God made you to be. Don't set your sights on the nearsightedness of what you can get out of life for now. Look at the long haul. Plan for the future. Plan for a place called heaven because one day as we go through this life, here's the lesson to learn. You dig a well, somebody's going to dig a well for you. And you'll go from victory to victory because you gave hope. You gave victory to others. You'll go from victory to victory, from well to well, until one day in Zion we pass through those gates. I described it the other day. They said, how do you want to go to heaven? I said, I want to slide through those pearly gates with blisters on my feet and my hair on fire because I went through hell to get there. And I think I've been there. On July the 26th, 1969, yes, teenager, that's right, after the War of 1812. Kids, I was burned. I've been in that valley of darkness more than once, and I've never failed to see the light that drew me and brought me out of that darkness. And Jesus never fails. I should not have survived a hand grenade exploding inches from my right ear. You don't live through that. I'm sitting in the presence of a doctor that's seen my kind of case of burned people. There are very few that have ever survived a white phosphorus hand grenade to the head I don't know if anybody else has survived one to the head. I know of, I was in the hospital with one that survived one that exploded on his belt. It was, it was hit in a gunfight. I was hit by a sniper. I don't know how I survived in the physical. I can't describe it. But I can tell you, I was not alone. The angel of the Lord was with me, and he did not get burned. And Jesus was with me and he did not get burned. You see, our deliverer does not suffer the same consequences of war that we do. He doesn't have to go through divorce to help us go through divorce. He doesn't have to go through our pain to understand it. He's already done all that. So he doesn't. Ha- when he's with us, he's not enduring what we're enduring. He is there to bring us out of that darkness. Out of darkness, those that have sat in darkness have seen A glorious light, the Bible says. Well, I'm one of those. That grenade exploded. I went blind in my eye. Blew my hair off. I got my hair back. I bought it. (laughs) There's a bald guy in China. That's what I say. It's made in China. I wonder what else we've got. No, we won't go down that road. I don't mind the hairpiece. I just hate chasing it across church parking lots on windy Sundays. And I've done that before. In fact, I spoke at the, uh, uh, at the, in Charleston, South Carolina, at the academy there, uh, slips me right now, the name of it, Citadel. And uh, I had finished my presentation to all the cadets. It was a beautiful, wonderful experience. So now it was a morning up until lunch presentation. I'm walking out with a four-star Air Force general who was superten- superintendent that year, And we're walking out in the wind, flipped my hairpiece off, and it took off like a Frisbee out across that parking lot. And I'm chasing it. I look back, and that four star was on both knees laughing and crying his eyes out, and a dog beat me to my hairpiece. (laughs) He grabbed it and shook it. What a disappointment. He thought it was a possum, but it was an air possum. And he brought it back to me. How do you know it was mine? I didn't play fetch with that dog. How do you know that was mine? Can dogs tell if you're bald? That's my big question when I get to heaven. It's not, what is life? My big question to God is, can dogs see if you're bald? You say, you're being funny, Dave. Yes, I am. I'm being silly because on July the 26th, 1969, the devil took his best shot. He lowered the boom and fired. He hit me, knocked me halfway into eternity. But I'm still here. No weapon formed against me can prosper. Greater is he that's in us. See, he doesn't love me more than it loves you. He loves us the same. I'm not better than you because I have a mic up here talking and you're sitting there listening. I am no different. We are no different except that judgment. I'll be held to a higher level of accountability because I held this mic, talk to you from the, quote, word of God, capital W. And I'm saying to you, I'm responsible for what I say. So here's my shovel, and I'm digging a well for you right now, and I'm going to try to hit water. Here's what you can take home from today, that God is with us no matter what we deal with. Fear not, for I am with thee. The Bible says someone counted them. Someone denied it and said it's more times than that when you include other meanings that say essentially the same thing, but some two hundred and something times the Bible says, Fear not, and in every case it says, For I, the Lord thy God am with thee. Or I am with thee. And I'm gonna tell you something. I don't know what happened to Corona, COVID 1 through 18. But we lived through it. And now we're at 19. We're gonna live through this. We're going to get through this. Fear not, for God is with us. He's going to see us through this. Yeah, we wear our mask. I got me a brand new one last night. Janet, thank you. It matched my clothing today. I'll wear my mask and I'll social distance. I'll wash my hands. I'll do those things. But I'm going to tell you something. You think I'm going to get up in the one thing? Oh, God, I, I just, I don't know if I can step out of that. I don't know if I'm going to get sick. Get over it. You see, Comfort is my closing thought. I do a whole message on this, but I'm not going to do the whole message. I'm just going to give you a, a little few sentences. This is the Reader's Digest version of my comfort message. The Bible says comfort one another with these words. And to give comfort after we've gone through something, we can comfort the world by saying, I went through that. I got through it. You can. That's what the Bible teaches in Corinthians, that we comfort give comfort but i looked at the word comfort it means anything but what i thought i thought comfort was to stroke the head of the poor suffering soul and say oh pobrecito you poor little thing i'm so sorry uh uh-uh. it's to instruct it's to encourage it's to teach and there's a picture and i have to admit i haven't seen it but i've been told about it of general george washington the general He's helping a wounded warrior back up on the horse. And underneath it says, the uh, General Washington comforts the soldier. Comforts? How do you put a wounded soldier back on a horse in comfort? See, I thought comfort was, okay, you lost the use of your hand, you lost your thumb, each finger counts up to a disability, you lost your image, you lost your mouth, you lost your nose, you lost your eyelids, you lost your hair, you lost your ever-loving mind, and now they add all that up. You know what they came to when they added up all my disabilities? It's not a joke. I'm 240% disabled. They pay me for 100%. Where's the other 140? <laughs> and they put at the bottom, this does not include mental. <laughs> I'm teasing, they didn't do that. You see, today, if you get wounded, you go through a medical board, they decide all you've lost, and then they give you a comfort pay for the rest of your life. For the rest of your life, they pay you until you die. That's not comfort. Here's my comfort. You got hurt in a war? You laid out on that stretcher? Are you still breathing? Yeah. You got a heartbeat? Yeah. If I help you, can you get up? Yeah. Then get up off that stinking stretcher. Get back on that horse. This war not over. Fight until your last breath and go into heaven with your hair on fire and blisters on your feet. Because you went through hell to get there. I've described it personally in this sense. That day on the bank of that river, on the border with Cambodia, beached on my little boat standing there. When I jumped in the water, it wasn't much more than about this deep because I jumped on the water back from where the the bow of the boat was just a little bit up so it wouldn't drift away. I was supposed to go down in that bunker and bring those bad boys out of that hole in the ground alive because a dead communist can't tell you what you want to hear. So I beached the boat. I pulled the pin, drew back, got ready to throw, and my life would change. It would change forever. I took a hit that day. I'll put it this way. That day, the devil took a stick, and he just beat me severely around the head and shoulders. But he made a fatal error. When he got through hitting me and laughing at me, he walked away, and he threw that stick down. And that's where he made his mistake. I crawled over to that stick. This is euphemistically speaking. And I used the stick he hit me with to get up like a cane, to get me up on my feet and stabilize me. The stick he hit me with, all that pain, that disfigurement, all that fear, all that whatever, would become to me my first stability financially. They would help stabilize me, and I want to give credit to my government, to my military friends, and to the Veterans Administration that said, here's a little bit of money to help you get started back in life. And it's stable. I used that stick to get on my feet. But then I took that same stick, and to tens of thousands, actually eight million students I've addressed in public schools, I tell the story of getting hit with that stick. I tell the story of loss of identity. I tell the story of pain. I tell the story of friendships broken, but yet a marriage that lasted through it all. I tell the story of being suicidal for 20 long years every day. Not a day passed that the thought didn't go through my mind. It's a miracle I didn't kill myself in those first 20 years. And God delivered me in one fell swoop at the end of 20 years. I tell that story. I use that stick. And then at night when those kids come back and I get to tell the rest of the story, I lift that stick a little higher as I did that day on the bank of the river. I said, devil, come back here. This war's not over. And since that day to standing on this podium, I use that same stick to beat the devil all over the face of the earth Using what he used against me, used against him. So stop your whining, get off the stretcher and get on your horse. Do you still love me? I said, Do you still love me? You better, because I'm gonna tell you, this is good stuff. And if you'll use it, you'll be the blessed for it. I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day and if it worked for me it'll work for you I'm Dave Reaver I approve of this
0: message you have been listening to ct church in san antonio texas This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.